Hello and welcome to the 250, your IMDb Top 250 Movies of All Time podcast. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. And this week we're doing a bit of a special episode. Uh, we're doing an episode commemorating the passing of Harry Dean Stanton, who passed away last Friday. Uh, we didn't get a chance to record an episode over the weekend and release it sort of specifically around that, but because I was, I'm a big fan of Harry Dean Stanton, I've sort of I've seen him in in countless movies over the years. He's sort of one of those figures who I always sort of associated with film, even though he had very few starring roles. So. We thought it might be interesting to kind of to talk about him a little bit this week and to talk about one of the movies that he's in. In fact, like, Harry Dean Stanton has a reputation for being a sort of a character supporting actor. Yeah. And sort of, I think you saw that when he passed away and you saw his obituaries. The headlines, no two headlines had the same roles for him, which was a really phenomenal accomplishment. So it'd be like, you know, Twin Peaks and Alien actor or, you know, Twin Peaks and the Straight Story actor or repo man and big love actor or you know so on and so forth like you had so many combinations red dawn red dawn and pretty in pink actor yeah like you had like, all the... I, I think red dawn was a pretty big movie was it like, it, it like was all of big... those kind of john Hughesy sorts of yeah yeah and he tended to, he had a recurring sort of role as a sort of a father figure in them because he was also he was the father in pretty in pink as well yeah um and it's sort of like he was one of those people or one of those faces who had always sort of recognized and Although he'd done a lot of these, and in fact, a lot of movies uh, featuring him in supporting roles are currently on the 250. So, for example, Alien is on the 250. For, you know, the some of his Lynch right. collaborations are on yeah. there as well. But we thought it might be because of his passing, it would be good to talk about a movie in which he played a lead role and a major role. And we, we had this, I think, when Martin Lando passed, where we sort of had a debate about whether or not we wanted to cover like North by Northwest, which is a, where he plays a supporting role and what was one of his first big roles. And we felt that maybe because the movie wasn't about him, he wasn't the central star of it, it wouldn't be the right way to sort of memorialise him or to reflect on him or to sort of to, to yeah. kind of talk on him about the, it. The thing about North by Northwest is that it's also uh, George, George A. Romero, who... Um, he worked as cinematographer on that as well. Yeah, yeah. who also passed. So I, I mean, watch this space. Who yeah. knows? We may or may not be covering that, that movie soon. And similarly with this movie, it was also a collaboration of two people... Um, who had recently passed, although not directly collaborating. Sam Shepard had written it. Actually, pretty close to directly collaborating. Really? Yeah, there's a, there's a story about how Harry Dean Santon came to be cast in this, um, which is Paris, Texas, the movie directed by uh, German New Wave director Wim Wenders, and we'll talk a little bit about Wenders later on. But in terms of how Stanton came to this particular role, which Stanton singles out as his favourite role, or singled out as his favourite role that he'd ever played and the favourite film that he'd been a part of, what happened was he was actually attending a film festival with Sam Shepard at uh, some time in the early 80s. Right. And the two of them were sitting at a bar. And this is one of those great Hollywood stories where two people are sitting at a bar. Um, but they're sitting at a bar and, and sort of Shepard is talking with him and sort of getting a sense of who Harry uh, Dean Stanton is. Harry Dean Stanton yeah. and a Sam Shepard walk into a bar. <laughs> you won't believe what happens next. But Shepard basically, you know, had conversations about life and about like the meaning of stuff and about like being strong and being silent and communicating without saying much. And, and Stanton didn't really think much about this at the time, but he discovered after the fact that Shepard had basically in that conversation decided that he wanted Stanton to play the lead role in this movie he was writing, which was Paris, Texas. And there's like there's all this, this these all these great stories about Stanton as a character in terms of like even when he was he died at the age of 91, he was. He was still going he's to bar. He's old in this. He is old. He's like in the movies that we know him from. He's not a young man. No, he he's one of those people who always looked forty, 
Um, and then sort of maybe it caught up with him a little bit in, in sort of the, the past 10 years or so. But if you look at a picture of Harry Dean Stanton between, say, his appearance in The Godfather to part two in like 1975, and you look at a picture of him and say the straight story in what, 1994, 95, there's like minimal, there's a sense of maybe a year or two of difference in age. Right. He's always, he always had one of those great, like Christopher Walken, where it seemed like for, for decades, Christopher Walken was always the same age. He was always about 40. Right. It sort of has that quality, that time. Yeah, quality. even like in, in Annie Hall, he, yeah. he doesn't seem like a young man, really. No, he doesn't or seem... Or in, in The Deer Hunter, he doesn't really, truly seem like a young man. Even he though he's like supposed an to older be. man playing a younger man, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, was it that Steve Buscemi sketch? How do young kids? That sort of stuff. <laughs> but there is that quality to Stanton where he had the sort of timeless archetypal sort of like, he always seemed old. He always seemed wise and he always seemed sort of worn. And he had this kind of lived in experience that he brought to roles. Like even when he's doing stuff like uh, Alien, where he has a ridiculously minor role in the film, where like he's secondary to, to Yafet Koto. Like he's he's one of those two guys and he's the, the one of those two guys who dies first. Where he's the kind of the, the bum who's fixing the, you know, working on the inside what of the spaceship. I know. <laughs> massive spoiler for Alien. Some of the characters in the movie die. Yeah. But he has this sort of like incredible personality. Not like other alien movies. Where everybody lives straight through the end and there are absolutely yeah. no problems. But I mean, Stanton always, to me, had this sort of like... And it's actually funny when we're talking about Paris, Texas. This ability to communicate so much without actually using words. Yeah. Um, where you've got a sense that of sort of like that lived in, I don't know, authenticity, if that's a cliche to say about an actor of his generation. I'm, I'm really glad that, that, that it's not just me doing this podcast. Because I'm very bad at kind of I'm I'm um at, at showing like proper um r- respect and I suppose reverence to, to 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 these sorts of things. I can be very irreverent glib. and glib. Um, I I I'm really enjoying kind of like yeah listen, listen. and I I suppose <laughs> if I'm really enjoying it, why am I cutting across it? <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to say. Well, Let's talk a little bit about Harry Dean Stanton then before we talk about the, the specific uh, specificity of this film, you know, speci- this film specifically. So, like, what about what about you and Harry Dean Stanton then? Like, so I assume you yeah. would be familiar with him. You would have known him, obviously. You would have seen him and stuff. I would have known him, but the first the first time I was the first time I kind of like encountered him as an actor, people seemed to know who he was and I didn't because they were like, "Oh, Harry Dean Stanton is in this," and I was like great <laughs> good for you um, <laughs> yeah i i and, and do you remember what it was um it it might have been red dawn um but it, equally it could it could have been like it could have been repo man possibly oh. i don't know if i if i watched the whole thing because i was like oh media westernized and it's like yeah and harry dean stanton it's like yes whatever works for you um, that's pretty cool because I mean I, uh, no I was probably like wow Harry Dean Stanton is in this <laughs> <laughs> just pretending like I was in the know yeah don't yeah. want to be left out of that cool Harry yeah. Dean stanton because I mean one of the things about Stanton is that he straddled a line I think throughout his career where he was he was always a character quirky supporting actor and it's always like there are those actors who when you put on a film you are always happy to see them. And I think I think Ebert famously argued that one of the great things about... And he singled out Harry Dean Stanton and uh, Emmett Walsh was that basically any movie starring those two actors or either of those two actors or featuring an appearance from either of those two actors could not be entirely without merit. Now, I believe he revised that prediction downwards sometime around 1999. I can't remember the film in question. Okay. Um, but... 
there is that sense of like being happy to see a character actor and i mean i remember when i watched i watched the godfather when i was about what 14 or 15 that was one of those things where everybody had known what the godfather was and yeah. everybody raved about it and i i remember i actually bought the dvd because i couldn't find it on television and i couldn't you know i couldn't convince my mom and dad to sit down and watch it as a family movie so i, I rented it watched it by myself and i remember watching the godfather 2 and seeing harry dean stanton in this tiny supporting role as like an fbi he's one of the fbi agents who's working uh with the guy with the mustache yeah um who's getting him to the hearings and it's a tiny role it's a thankless role i just remember seeing him and going i'm very glad to see that familiar face here's a question was he ever in star trek I don't believe so. Yeah, it's um, like like I imagine like like um, a lot of people kind of like would get excited for the likes of like James Cromwell. Yes. Um, when they see him based on his appearance, well, obviously in First Contact, but he'd done a number of yeah, guest star appearances. Like, on Star Trek. Uh, Kurtwood Smith. Yes, based yeah. on oh, his great performances in Star Trek as well. I like that. Uh, yeah. Sorry, st- sorry. <laughs> just to distract from. We but, were just talking about kind of like uh, character actors who, who you reckon? Kind of, yeah. The um the thing that Ebert said about somebody being in a movie and it it being of some merit. There's there are actors who can be in terrible movies but still like like Christopher Walken yes, is actually, like that That was me. a great example I'm, of I'm, Kangaroo I'm, Joe. Like always thoroughly cons- like consistently consistently delighted by when when Christopher Walken um, appears in a movie. I get I get very happy. There's Joe Dirt few, Prophecy 3. Yeah. There's maybe a few exceptions where where it didn't um, properly capitalize upon yeah or, or where 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 i felt kind of like a little bit let down but that what was it i think a lot of people liked it but seven psychopaths I, I, yes i quite liked I, that actually i really didn't <laughs> i i mean there were parts of it i enjoyed but anyway sorry we're we're, we're getting vastly off topic. but well, yeah, no, I there, mean... there's that thing about yeah there being being an actor in it and it, it's it definitely kind of elevating the, the, the movie the material itself but this is also a really good movie this is a really good yeah. movie on its own I mean own. We're, we're talking about Harry kind of as as, as an actor like qua actor and, and, and not specifically as, in, as, as in, a star in, or a headline in a movie well I mean like this is one of the things he did because we talked about how he's a great character actor he did for a character actor he had a number of showcase movies like Repo Man would be another one where yeah. Emilio Estevez was technically the lead but Stanton was practically the co-lead it would have came out I think in 1983-84 around the same time as Paris, Texas but you also had movies where he was front and center. So, for example, uh, the movie The Straight Story, which is probably my favorite David Lynch film. It's not the best David Lynch film because it's probably the least David Lynch film. It's, it's, it's literally the story about a guy who finds out his brother has died and doesn't have a driver license. So he embarks. And it's quite similar in a way to Paris, Texas, in that he embarks on this road trip across the United States to reunite with his brother's family. Except he doesn't have a driver's license, so he drives a lawnmower across the country. And it's it's in many ways the most linear and straightforward, the most straight of David Lynch's films. But it's a beautiful piece of work because it's built around sort of Stanton being Stanton, his implacableness, his sort of his his basic integrity, the sort of the, his ability to center a frame or a movie or a narrative, even when he's not emoting, even when he's not like being somebody who's supposed to be exceptional. There's there's something very appealing about him. And I mean, even yeah. when he was when he was ninety, when he when he's nineteen ninety one. When he directly before he passed away, like his last movie was released in cinemas this Friday uh, in the states. Um, it's called Lucky, 
It's starring Harry Dean Stanton. And apparently it's reportedly inspired by his own life experiences. It's about an atheist who's 90 years old and who basically goes through sort of a crisis of non-faith almost. And it's an interesting piece of work because primarily because of the people involved. Obviously he starred in it himself, but it's co-starring the director, David Lynch. It's directed by the actor, John Carroll Lynch, and it's produced by Ira Stephen Bear. And you were wondering, you were looking for a connection between Star Trek and Harry Dean Stanton. Ira Stephen Bear is the guy who produced Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, so there's there's that sort of connection. I don't know why I brought Star Trek. I suppose because you do a lot of like Star Trek um, um, reviews. And I'm, I'm yeah. a big Star Trek fan. I think we've, we haven't been particularly shy about that on this podcast. No, I guess not. But um, yeah, Paris, Texas is the movie that he, he speaks about or he spoke about as his favourite of the movies that he made and the one that he's most proud of. And I think looking at the film, you can sort of, you can see that. I had never seen this before. No, I had not watched this. I had never seen this before. Either. And I actually, to be honest, I felt like it was a good occasion to do it. And I felt it was a nice excuse to talk about it on the podcast as well. Because it, it was a nice excuse to talk about Hardin Stanton, but also to see him in a role that he was proud of. And I think watching it, I can understand why he was proud of it. Because it's, yeah. it's a phenomenal performance. And I think it's a performance that elevates what's a good film and makes it a great film, I would argue. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. And we'll just talk about it vaguely before we get into sort of spoilers. Um, it's a 1984 film. It's directed by the German director, uh, Wim Wenders, who was part of the German New Wave with, say, Werner Herzog and, and Fassbinder. And basically, these directors, some of them had a fascination with the States, and some of them would go over and they make movies in the States. Now, they wouldn't be very financially successful, and by the end of the 80s, most of them would be back home. Some of them would, would, would do great work. Was, was, um, some of them bad, would appear as... Lieutenants, uh, uh, Port of Ball, New, New, Orleans. New Orleans. Really, I really, really, really want to see that. You've never seen it? No. It's quite good. As far as late stage Nicolas Cage movies go, it's fantastic. Yeah. In fact, while we're talking about like Ebert's grading system in terms of stars and celebrities, um, he had what he called the, uh, what was it, the Sean Connery edition, which was that every any movie starring Sean Connery got an extra half a star than the movie without Sean Connery. Right. And you had the uh, basically the Nicolas Cage uh, multiplier which was any movie starring Nicolas Cage could get either a star added or a star subtracted. <laughs> but you had no idea which it was until you watched the movie. And I think his argument was... That oh, the... So The Rock. <laughs> the Rock gets a whole star added. The Rock is the best... A star of... and a half, surely. Well, The Rock is... Because Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. That's it. It's, it's probably the best of those mid-90s action movies. And now we know why. Yeah. Like, scientifically proven. Yeah, because a lot of people put um, Conair above that. I think you put The I Rock know. above it. The Rock is the best. Yeah. Face Off is the second best because you got that Nicolas <laughs> Cage multiplier. And then the only negative Nicolas Cage movie on the list is Conair, I think. Yeah, that, that would be a, that, that, that's a controversial view. It really is. It really yeah. is. But let's talk a little bit then about Paris, Texas because it's, it's by Wim Wenders. Uh, Wenders is a director who is uh, known, he's done a lot of documentaries, he's been nominated for uh, Oscars for his documentaries, like say the Buena Vista Social Club and stuff like that. Oh, wow. He's also a director who tends to make a lot of road movies. He was known for his road trilogy uh, in the late 70s, uh, which were set in Germany, two of them in black and white, one of them in colour. There's a nice Criterion collection, which was released earlier this year, of the set. I think with Paris, Texas, what he wanted to do is he wanted to actually make a good old-fashioned archetypal American road movie with Sam Shepard, who wrote it. <laughs> and it, I, uh, I, I find that funny because when I was watching, when like starting to watch the movie, I was like, 
this is definitely a, a like I knew it was Wim Wenders, but it was very apparent that like this is a European. <laughs> this is a very <laughs> making European. a making a a an American movie. It reminded me of have you there's like there's a Saturday Night Live sketch where it's like a a Norwegian police drama, but um they've 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 made an authentically American. Kind of with with uh, with them speaking English and having authentic American accents, and they're just like, "Hey, have you have you been watching the f- the baseball?" <laughs> and it's like, "Give me a five <laughs> and and all of this and like when 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 the movie kind of like starts and you've got the like in the first fifteen minutes, is this very deep like uh, German accent? on the, the, the small town country small doctor. town country doctor and then it goes back and has like the the, the main character's <laughs> brother gets off the phone and says oh it was a very strange phone call and it's like what kind of phone call is this? <laughs> <laughs> like what happened <laughs> i like that that's what that's what clued you in not the fact that like the opening 15 seconds of the film involve a, an eagle landing on a perch as a man wearing yeah, a suit with, with like, a red baseball guitar type. music yeah. and and like a, a a mojave desert kind of like a thing and there's like um, it really is it feels like the direction it, for this was could you make this more american <laughs> um but it, it has this sort of wonderful funhouse version of america which we'll talk about later on yeah. I, I think that if That's i think when, dr pepper yeah and, and coca-cola <laughs> machines and stuff like that like there, it's very clear watching the movie that wenders adores americana yeah and i mean it, it's interesting the movie won the palm door actually which surprised <laughs> a lot of people in 1984 because you were in the middle of the reagan era and like it was not there was in many ways, it was France. France was seen as somewhere that was maybe perhaps not particularly friendly to Americana in the mid '80s. But for this to win, a German director making an American road movie to win the Palme d'Or was well. It would have to be a German. <laughs> and, and to be clear, making a very European American uh, road movie. American road movie. Yeah, no, like not not. No, not this isn't Thelma and Louise, like, to be clear. We, we, have, we have ways of making you talk. <laughs> <laughs> if you will not talk for us, perhaps you will talk for the person on this card. <laughs> but it is. It is, it, it is a very European movie to the point where, like, I mean, Harry Dean Stanton is the main character in the film. The film opens on his face. The film closes on, on him making a certain decision. Like, it's, it's the movie from his point of view about his perspective, about his character. He does not say a word for the first 27 minutes. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating. Like, it is a movie that is in many ways, like, contradictory and, and weird and eccentric. We talked about, like, the German, the only German doctor working in West Texas, um, who seems to have, like, an outdoor diner set up as well. Yeah. But it, it's... Like, aside from that, he's super American. He's drinking out of a bottle of vodka. <laughs> and demands a reward. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, um, my, my reward. <laughs> because apparently every Texas is somehow, despite being set in the present day, is, is very clearly meant to it's evoke. It's like, like Mad Max. Yeah, it's meant to evoke. <laughs> this sort of every man for himself environment. Yeah. But I mean, I actually, I really, really liked it. I, I basically, my, my gut response is... take those shoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is. It is. 
like trading on gasoline and ice. There's a moment where like where you can tell that Harry Dean Stanton's character Travis has returned to society because he's found ice and he just collapses. It's like my work here is done. <laughs> I have reached the cool place. But it is I, I really, really liked it. it it's a I very liked, I liked it too. It's a very long, very slow, very as you point out, very European European and meandering. There's a lot yeah. of like there's a lot of silences and there's a lot of yeah. not silences where people talk and about philosophical a things a lot of inconsistency as well yes and a, and a world that isn't necessarily real like one of the things we you've, you've taken me to task about this before where i've used the phrase magical realism to refer to something that isn't like my my bar for magical realism is very low in that it just it doesn't feel like the real world i don't need there to actually be magic it's more like disneyland there are times when it feels like the america captured in paris texas feels almost like mainland USA and Disneyland where it's like it's somebody who is looking at America as an as an outsider and has sort of latched on to stuff like the neon signs or the the, the imitation or the you know the, the the murals the designs the fact that nothing is real this sort of culture of like everything being larger there's always a television there, there in the shot. desert but there isn't a tire that can set things on fire yeah alas that's just that's your european i like rubber is our barrier for weird european road movies yeah yeah well let's talk a little bit about it being on the 250 because it's been in and out basically since the chart began in 1996 it's tended to pop around the low you know the low end it's been in around 250 disappeared for a couple of years come back in it's been in and out a lot recently. I think um, it's been in and out while we were doing the in and out charts as well. It has indeed yeah. over the past year. And it's sort of sl- shortly before... Um, kind Hearts and Carnets, which by the way, I really want to do. Yeah, I mean, have you seen Kind Hearts and Carnets? I've, 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 I've seen other kind of... I feel like we've Eating talked studio. about this before. Yeah, yeah, like the other kind of like Alec Guinness Eating Studio comedy. Oh Because right. this is the most Alec Guinness, most Eating Studio comedy. I've heard, yeah, yeah. It, it really is. But um, like this one has been in and out, and it's it's been gradually climbing, which is always good to see. Like so, it's it's currently at number two forty one, um, okay. and it it did climb a bit after Stanton passed away, which I think was a gesture of respect because I think a lot of people went back and watched it. Like I think there were a lot of retrospectives about it, and we'll actually include a few in the show notes. I mean, there are various websites that have recommended. I think the AV Club and and Vox and all these sort of places have recommended that people check out Paris, Texas. And I mean, yeah. I guess that sort of leads us nicely to. Would we add our recommendation to that list, that long? Yeah. Well, would you? Yes. And and also, um, I liked it a lot. I wouldn't put it on my kind of... Your uh, own personal 250. No, no. But, but, um, That's fair. I'd probably put the like, straight story ahead of it myself, to be honest. The, I, there, was, there was so much that I liked about it. The look, the kind of sound, the um, performances... I guess the 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 writing there were, there was there was something kind of um there's a certain kind of movie that I, that that doesn't really take me and and hold me which is a certain kind of European movie where 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 there's like um I, sort of... I, actually it's it's a good example of this is the likes of. And I know they're not. They're they're by um, an American, Richard Linklater's kind of uh, oh. before sunset and before sunrise. Yeah, but they are very European styled. Exactly, and where where it's kind of, of like yeah, where 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 it's people sort of 
talking in this kind of naturalistic sort of way not really kind of like... structured or, or moving forward or sort of yeah. like there's there's no clear sense of you're going from a to b it's, yeah, it's like yeah. you're you're ambling and maybe if you hit c along the way that's grand and sometimes it seems like a point is being made and then you realize well no because then like would if if there was a point to this wouldn't it be wouldn't there be some consistent thread like which which uh, if if there was a if there was a point to this movie wouldn't it be constructed in such a way that yeah. um that 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 that's that you build to that point yeah so, so you you have your your stand, yeah. you know i don't want to be cliche and say your three-act structure but you have a rhythm yeah where there's make. a certain kind of a movie and and link later does a kind of like an american version of it where where it's this um sort of european style movie where 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 you don't have you you have simple kind of um events occurring and people kind of um speaking naturally and there being some amount of kind of um, eccentricity or quirkiness to it and kind of uh, peppering in kind of meaning along the way yeah but not having kind of a yeah those kind of movies i enjoy them fine but like they're, they're you not, don't love them yeah there is it's like they're not particularly my thing all right well i mean i would generally this movie is great just would, to be clear <laughs> I like generally... I, I can still it, it's just not in my yeah it wouldn't make your universal list i mean i'm not sure it would make my list i mean in terms of say harry dean stanton films i'd probably go with the straight story over this in terms of of wender films I've only ever seen one other Wenders film, which is Wings of Desire, which some of our fans may remember as the Nicolas Cage multiplier City of Angels. Um, and I, I actually preferred that one to, to this one as well, slightly. But I really did like this film. And actually, it's interesting that you should cite that European example, because it is, in many ways, it, it does feel European in that it, it has that sort of meandering, sort of uncentralized, sort of like whatever happens, happens approach to it. Yeah. it but it also has it a very strong... It any sense that like the... the... There, there's there's nothing kind of uh, necessary about like the, the plotting i guess i like it 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 seems like it could have things things could could happen quicker or slower or not at all and know? it would make minimal difference yeah i don't know i would argue almost the opposite like i think it feels like a european movie but it has a Sorry, very I, interrupting no, it has a very clear sense of, of structure to me. It reminds me of, um, it's actually funny, and, and again, maybe this is one of the things where I'm watching Harry Dean Stanton, and I'm thinking Harry Dean Stanton, so I'm making a connection that's not necessarily there, but of, say, Twin Peaks, The, the Return, uh, which had a sort of, it has a similar plot line. We're not going to give away too many spoilers about it, but there's a plot line involving Tom McLaughlin's character, where he gets cast out of this sort of purgatory and he ends up and finds himself alone in the world and he finds himself sort of associated with this family and he goes through this process this really slow developmental process of learning how to be a man again of like learning how to be a person of learning how to dress of tasting coffee for the first time of being a responsible adult of engaging with other people and learning to be a decent human being while taking on the life of somebody who hasn't had a good life who hasn't been decent and kind to the people around him and trying to build a life that is respectful and dignified in in a more in a way that sort of confronts stereotypical portrayals of american masculinity and i think when people saw say twin peaks return this is just one strand of it but when people watched it they objected that this particular plot line was slow and meandering and ambling and you see where this is going yeah yeah i feel like there's a lot of that in here there's a lot of like 
and again, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this later on because it does remind me of a David Lynch film in some ways, but it, there's yeah. this sense of what the film's about. I think it's very clearly about one thing in particular, and I think um, it's very clearly about that thing. And I think that Stanton is the key to that and Stanton anchors it. It wouldn't be in My 250, but I think it, it does have more focus than I think you're giving it credit for. I think, I think a problem that I had with this is if you have like a mystery in a movie and then if you answer that mystery... I feel like you need to an- answer it in in a satisfactory manner. Yeah. And I I feel like this this movie this movie has a mystery assets and then the 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 mystery is 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 revealed and explained very kind of Obviously, thoroughly yeah. but not yeah. really not concretely. And, uh, yeah. Well, I think this might be a nice nice opportunity to segue neatly into the spoilers. Exactly. We can talk a little bit about that. But in the meantime, we'd recommend yeah, go watch it. Absolutely. Uh, this this is a great movie. I enjoyed it a great deal, and I I really really loved it. Yeah. I, I really. And did. Harry that Dean Stanton's fantastic. It's a nice opportunity to kind of remind ourselves of how good he was. Yeah. And we're back from the spoiler zone. So Andrew, what was Paris, Texas about for you? Um, I think it was about a number. It, it, it was about a number of things. There was a number of kind of ideas that came up for me the 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 idea of like harry dean stanton's character seems like a uh, like a child or an alien or a foreigner like so the, 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 he the, wanders he, out of the desert with no yeah. idea no ability it's it's, it's he it's, doesn't speak for the first 27 minutes but it's yeah, not clear it's like whether he, he can or whether he's forgotten yeah. how to so is this is it that he doesn't speak english is this um is it that he cannot speak at all yeah is he an is 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 he an alien yeah or is he is he a child yeah. does he is is he kind of does he does he not um has he has he just been has he emerged fully formed yeah, like, like, like a, the man who fell to more, earth or whatever like a, well I was thinking more like Mork and Mindy <laughs> <laughs> so, I like this this, this German existential new wave Mork and Mindy words are nine or nine yeah but yeah it made me think about made me think about a number of things the, the there was a a lot of kind of father and son stuff and also kind of like avuncular things because his his brother takes on this kind of his brother um, Walt, yeah. His brother Walt, played by Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. We're doubling your deans and doubling your pleasure. Yeah, has that sort of awkward sort of dad or awkward kind of like there's something very kind of like familiar kind of when 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 you see sometimes uh, fathers and sons, it's like what what do you what do you do what have you got there? Oh, don't put that in your mouth. Kind of um, approach to it. Yeah, yeah. Where and and Dean Dean Stockwell, like at at in the first first scene, I was thinking, oh, I I didn't think the first scene with Dean Stockwell in it was very good. It it seemed like, well, this is the scene where you cut to him in front of a billboard of a skyscraper, which is is literally like it's it's the most well Dean Stockwell is going to represent city as opposed to like natural right. living or whatever. There was. I guess, I guess, I, I guess maybe he played it well because he's in this kind of sense of shock. He's yeah. like, um, but it, yeah, it seemed kind of, but the the stuff I really enjoyed with Dean Stockwell was was 
was him trying to uh, trying to guess his brother Travis to to speak, and it being that kind of like dad thing of of like, hey, do you want to eat? Yeah. Where where? I'll where, fill the silence. Where do you want to eat? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I'm... there's a moment in it where 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 Dean Stockwell says like, oh, um, uh, your 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 um your father wanted wanted to to go to school with you. He wanted to talk to you. And the child's response is, "Talk about what?" Like, and and it's such a good point that that I thought a lot watching this movie. Things are a lot simpler in ways for 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 kids, and things are often much easier to 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 understand. And they don't they don't kind of complicate things or have the same dynamic, sorts yeah. of. Um, neuroses, neuroses of, of about things. There was, there was, there was like, there was the moment where where he says, "What does he want to talk about?" As in, like, oh, does he have like a specific thing that he he needs to talk to me about, or like, why is it? Why is it? What is the objective yeah. of this social interaction? What and, purpose and, does it serve? Yeah, and and he he's he's right because the re- reason people people say like, oh, we 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 haven't spoken. And like there, there is a sense kind of as adults that like it's important that we speak, so so that I don't worry that we're no longer <laughs> friends or something like that. It's like they have all of these sorts of Anxiety, like layers of yeah, yeah that 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 kids kind of have to learn. Yeah. <laughs> when they later on in the movie, they end up going to Houston, ba- basically. Yeah, just 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 to explain a bit, like hopefully you've seen the movie if you're listening this far. Yeah. But tra- Travis and his son Hunter, because tra- uh, Travis is brought back by his brother Walt. Walt and Anne um, have been raising have, Hunter. Have have been raising Hunter, who's Travis's child. They decide to go back to Houston, and Travis gets Hunter to call um, Walt and Anne. Yes. And. Which and, is, is a brilliant scene. Yeah, and 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 it's the the thing that made me the thing that made me think about how things are simpler for 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 kids is that he says, "Oh, they're gonna flip out," as in they won't understand this, and it's so true that like adults worry, worry, yeah, and they'd be like, "What do you what do you what do you mean you've um, I've sconded across yeah, the country, the, left the you state, got to Houston. Yeah. and it's like, well, it's quite simple. It's the, the there's a road we took it yeah uh, we're the, going on a journey exactly it's the the, the child's uh, mother uh, lives in Houston and I feel like parents would so often say like what he he's going he's going like he's he's he has school like to go to or something like that it's like oh it's okay he can miss a few days of school yeah. and, it, and it reuniting actually, with his mother it actually yeah. yeah but like stuff like that like grown-ups kind of worry so much about these things and they worry about routine they worry about pattern they worry yeah. about like social standing they and worry about complicated like external things that are not immediate yeah and there's, there, a, there's a purity to a child's there, perspective there is the the kind of sense that that cl- that's sorry not clint um that's um travis travis's character um and Hunter's character are are quite sim- similar and, 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 and childlike. I think 
I think um, there's a great scene where they're walking home from school, for example. Like where, yeah. like first of all, first thing is Hunter ditches him and goes home with a friend. But the the next time they do a thing where they walk on opposite side of the roads and they mirror one another, and there's a sense that Travis is almost playing with him. Yeah. And there's this this sense of camaraderie that's almost like brothers. It's almost like like uh, Travis feels like more of a brother to Hunter than he does to Walt. Because like I mean, they go on a, on a road trip together, and it's when they're calling when they're calling Anne and they're calling Walt to explain what's happened. Like, it's not Travis, the adult, who does this. Travis yeah. doesn't seem to have the emotional wherewithal or the sort of emotional strength to do it. He delegates that task to Hunter. Yeah. And Hunter seems to, like, the two of them seem almost like kids skipping school. Yeah. And there's a purity to the and way the, that Travis sees the world that is not... There's, like, a, there's a sense of that around Jane as well, who we meet later in the yeah. movie, where, 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 where it is a kind of a childishness. And, and, and I was kind of, like, b- bigging up this kind of a childishness I, I wonder how much self-awareness in this movie it seems to be kind of there there is a whimsy about um about Travis and about Jane but I I I feel like they are given a pass by <laughs> by by this movie because they're they're dreamers and they're wild and I was thinking a lot about this lately where like our generation aren't truly adults because we talk about adulting yes. which which an adult doesn't would never do. would never say yeah. um so like i was i was talking to someone the other day and i was saying you know what growing up there was never one time ever where my mother said you know what i didn't do the laundry you're going commando today <laughs> <laughs> um, how yeah. many parents how many parents of our generation have ever said that <laughs> exactly well like the amount of times i've said to myself <laughs> andrew you haven't done laundry <laughs> or like you haven't Andrew's your... co-workers yeah. i hope you're enjoying this podcast <laughs> no 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 the 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 uh, maybe maybe as like a younger man but like technically an adult okay right? you, like... you don't need to pedal backwards <laughs> it's, it's uh that pandora's box has been opened there, yeah there's um another another kind of um adulting fail that 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 is, is like like men of our age and it's not just me don't don't shave every day Yes, yeah. I, I have not shaved today, for example. Exactly, um, and and well, well, I mean, it's 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 what is it Sunday? Yeah, <laughs> men of our age do not always know what day of the week it is either. Um, but yeah, Which, no, I, yeah, and, and 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 like there's the thing of the dressing like, casually, yeah, and, the relaxing, like there is a sense, and I mean, even if you look at the pop culture we consume, there's like, a sense I, of I haven't ironed my sh- I haven't ironed my shirt. I'll, I'll wear a it jumper. Anyway. Yeah. That's what I'm about. To... No, there, I think I think you're right. There is an element um, of infantilization that occurs, and, and like you can see it in the pop culture. This is really in, in, infuriating, though. Level of kind of in 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 this movie, there's there's you don't get to to be this um, childish kind of childish dreamer with like kind of um, whimsy and and to say like, oh, I. I started to feel like, like it's it's something like a very kind of like uh, that reminds me of kind of European movies or that kind of style <laughs> where they say, I reached I reached the point where I where I looked at my my family and I I I no longer kind of uh, I I started to feel resentment for them and 
this explains why I... I decided <laughs> to run away, turn my yeah, back, and yeah, never come yeah, back. Yeah. And, and uh, I... Um, my uh, my love became anger, and I would uh, and I would drink. So you see, it's love actually that <laughs> causes me to be an abusive. Yeah, yeah, be, because I'm in because I'm an innocent. I am I, so in love, so yeah, in passion. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Where you see, I don't actually have any. Um, like agency or responsibility <laughs> or, or my <laughs> but, intentions are pure therefore my actions are exonerated yeah but the, the, there, guess... there's 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 like this kind of i don't i don't think there's really the awareness of of how um the 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 the, the, the people in in this movie are i don't know i would disagree with that a little because what what I thought the movie was about and what it really responded, what sort of like, I really, really liked it. And part of... I really liked it too. Part of what I responded to was the sense that in many ways, to, to me anyway, what, what Paris, Texas seemed to be about was it's this idea of what it means to be a man. And so you have this this arc and it's, it's very similar. I mentioned that the Twin Peaks, the return arc, which is very similar again, which is you have this idea of like, Travis wandering out of the desert almost like Jesus obviously but I think more directly I think Wenders and it, the point has been made by various critics and commentators like say Ebert for example like this is very clearly emulating a classic western in particular it's emulating The Searchers by John Ford and in many ways like The, the Searchers is like one of those formative American myths you can see it again in say Taxi Driver where you have this basic idea of a guy wandering through the wilderness and basically finding this woman who needs to be saved from a position of sexual exploitation. I mean, obviously, in The Searchers, it's, it's being kidnapped by Native Americans. In Taxi Driver, it's obviously it's the child prostitute played by Jodie Foster. In this movie, it's obviously it's Jane who's who's in a sort of a, this weird, innocent prostitution thing that we'll talk about later, where she doesn't go home with the clients, but she instead lives out a fantasy with them. But you but have this... Pl like, plenty, plenty of other girls do. Yes. It, it, like, like it, it's um, yeah, where it's like a a, a peep show, and he yeah. kind of accuses her of being a prostitute, like yeah. in 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 um, so many words, pretty much of going home with them, and yeah. Well, yeah, he 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 becomes like a real kind of. He slips back into his old self. He slips yeah. back into the version of himself that he talks about in his second visit, where yeah. he talks about being possessive and jealous and angry and enraged. Yeah, and oh, just to be clear as well, I think of myself as a good person for the most part, but I've I've like being like i i don't mean to be so judgmental like like because i i've been in like re relationships where i've made mistakes or where my own insecurities kind of have yeah but you own have, those as i think is what you're saying yeah like, you, exactly. you take responsibility yeah, yeah. for them and I mean, I think everybody has. I think every, nobody's been in a relationship where everything's been perfect. That people who have been in relationships yeah. where they think everything is perfect generally get a mean surprise at the end of it. Or like your inability to communicate. Or, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think like for me, like one of the things that really spoke to me about the film was it was maybe this idea of what it was to become a man deconstructing this idea of like this American archetype of the cowboy in the desert. Because the film opens and closes in a way that recalls the searches where you have john ford uh, sorry not john ford john wayne wandering out of the desert saving this family and then wandering back into the desert because his work is done and you have that married with travis who does something similar he wanders out of the desert he reunites hunter and jane and then wanders off again into the wilderness by himself because he realizes he can't be 
the father or the, the, the figure that they need them to be. And I think That's it's not okay. I think though, no, I, th- I to be honest, I think though that makes a certain amount of sense because the film goes out of its way. Structurally, when he first, it does. When he makes the, it, when he makes the, when he has that first confrontation with Jane, when he has that conversation and he basically, in his first interaction with her, like despite the fact that he's been silent and like one of the things of the film is he's learning how to be a person. He learns how to talk to Walt. There's yeah. a point where Walt is surprised to see him eating. It's implied that he's had to learn how he to eat again. Sleep. Yeah, there's a point where he says, I can drive. And it's like, do you remember? It's my body remembers. There's a point where like he's doing all these things. I think you see with like, Kyle MacLachlan in, in Twin Peaks The Return, where it's like he's learning how to be a man from scratch. He's building himself up from nothing. He had that sort of like Jesus in the desert, sort of came back, blank slate, become something new sort of element to it. Yeah. And he tried that and... Like, he came back as a blank slate, as somebody new, as basically with the, the intellect and emotional capacity of a child. And yet, in his first interaction with Jane, in his first conversation with the woman he loved so madly, with the mother of his child, who he'd crossed the country with that child to reunite with, he immediately slut shames her. He immediately argues with her about her going home with clients, despite the fact that they haven't been in a relationship since for at least four years since he disappeared, if not longer. Yeah. Like... I think that serves a very clear purpose of demonstrating that no matter how much Travis might try to make himself better, to, to, to rebuild himself as a human being, to sort of build these blocks and become a better person. And he, he is in many ways a better person because he very clearly cares about Hunter and he very clearly cares about Jane and he wants them both to be happy. And he understands that they need to be a family and they need to have a family. And he can't just like leave Hunter on, on the doorstep of, of Anne and Walt it's i think that this him acknowledging his inability to be the man that he would want to be or to be a responsible adult and to take ownership of that i think is fair because it's not like he walks away and abandons them he leaves them with each other he leaves them like so at least jane has hunter and hunter has jane even if they can't have him and i think it's his i think it's a perfectly legitimate jane, decision jane gave hunter back it's not like hunter was taken away from jane that's a that's a fair point, but I think it's also, I think I mean, there's how long is that going to last? That's a fair point as well. It is fair to wonder how healthy that relationship yeah. can be. What about what about Waltz and Anne? Like yeah. the 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 well, there is the, a, yeah. There's the a thing is scene that if he if he's going to do if he's going to go do the John Wayne thing, should be kind of like bringing going getting Jane and bringing her like back to, to Los Walt Angeles. Anne, yeah. yeah, I think maybe yeah, maybe that's fair. Because it it, fe- it feels like the it's it's not a it's it's gotten to the point over those four years where you can no longer one reestablish a traditional nuclear family with with the three of them number uh, and and a worse option than that is to uh, like sorry a less ideal I know, I know that like there, there's <laughs> there's all sorts of different kinds of families but yeah. a less ideal version of that is 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 just the two of them without um walt and Anne. i think the 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 best possible scenario for 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 these five people is for 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 all five of them to live together well perhaps not live together but at least be in the same sort of like city city or neighborhood yeah so that if if they need to be there is a support structure there because i mean i think that's that's the thing about yeah families generally the larger the support structure, the stronger they are. And yeah, and, and that's not such an unusual thing in previous generations. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, still happens to an extent where 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 you have an extended family yeah. li- living living in in the same sort of like say county in Ireland. Yeah. Well, or, I mean, I, I or, live within walking distance of like my aunt and uncle and yeah. and that sort of stuff as well. Like, it's, and I mean, my gran would have lived with my aunt and uncle as well. That sort of yeah. stuff. So, like, I, I definitely would agree with that. And I think that, yeah, the broader the base for... And it doesn't necessarily... They don't have to be a nuclear family. It doesn't have to be. You can have no. single parents within that where, like, the other parent is not healthy or not capable of being around. But I think that as long as you have a broad support base, it generally helps with the raising of a child. Yeah. I, think, I think you are right to say that, yeah, leaving Jane and Hunter together at the end of the film is not a constructive or healthy solution. But I think that, on the other hand... It's, it's like... It's the kind of thing that... Like this, this idea of ir- irresponsible freedom and kind of doing you appeals to me greatly, but I also like feel like it's it's like the 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 idea of of like for example, I lost my phone recently, yeah, um, and so I don't have a phone at the moment. It's irresponsible of me to have not replaced that phone by now because there are people. In, in 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 my life who who would like to be able to get in touch with me and like say like text me and me me respond yeah. yeah exactly to engage in a conversation yeah. and to know that you are okay the, first of all but to know that they can yeah ask yeah. you questions and get feedback now if i'm being honest the, the, the freedom of 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 not of, having a phone of not having that of of, of being kind of slightly irresponsible and and um momentarily kind of abandoning traditional this responsibilities tether, yes, this yeah. tether tying you to it, other people yeah it's 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 very very kind of liberating for a certain kind of person but like i i i feel like you don't really get a pass i i, I think I, there's like a balance i, I like i like the, the irony in this situation because i think like i love that you personally will be a big fan of like freedom and you be you and and your sort of your response to this movie is that travis goes too far in that direction i think like i think being honest if you have a kid yes um, you you do have a a personal i I think like you i I, I by the way to be clear i I think people people have responsibilities to their families i think to an extent as well unless unless they're like estranged and and that's just something some something that you do not just because not just out of inclination or love for your family which of which of course um if uh, which of course you either have or if you're lucky you have yeah. but also out of duty um and i like i guess duty isn't the same as kind of compulsion yeah like you 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 do it like because it's the right thing to do yeah and, yeah not because you're forced to and to be clear that that wasn't me ganging up on you that was me pointing out the irony of of you being somebody whose philosophy tends more towards ubu advocating that the characters in this movie yeah, were I too think people should pretty much like yeah be, but on the other hand me be who they are being like, a character being a person who admittedly and perhaps it's come across on this podcast on certain occasions yeah <clears throat> davy driver um, who would advocate strenuously uh, for personal responsibility and for those obligations, maybe giving Travis a bit more of a pass. I think I think it's interesting because maybe it underscores the opportunity the film presents for us to sort of step outside ourselves like, a little bit. For example, I I believe that um, parents should have the the um, well, I suppose it's enshrined in the constitution that parents are the, are the primary educators. Yeah. So I I feel like there should be a, a certain amount of freedom over how 
a parent chooses to to raise their child but at the same time like i kind of come and 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 go yeah. over the, the, because some, sometimes i get say it. that the vaccines the the checks the needle prick test stuff like the, that yeah that's, that, that's, the, that's stuff. the well well it, that doesn't fall under education um you're 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 not a liberal if you're if you're allowing people to 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 not get vaccinated because liberal liberalism is only to the extent um that that harm isn't caused when 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 it's uh, when you're free to do everything including cause harm by not vaccinating your, your, your ch- children and, and um, uh, contributing to a decrease in this um, herd immunity, yeah. um, then then that's a, then that's a very different thing. Uh, I, I, I kind of I'm kind of like over and back. Like, how do I feel about somebody being um, kind of anti-conformist in certain ways? Yeah. Sometimes it can kind of bridle or or irritate, but but an awful lot of the time, I think. There should be more people like that in the world, not less. Yeah. But I think this movie, like, I feel very clearly that they're allowing themselves to extricate themselves from, sorry, specifically that, 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 Travis and Jane. Yeah. That, that Travis and Jane have removed themselves from a, a situation that, that, that they didn't want to be in. Because they simply didn't want to be in it, which which is which is which is fine in 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 I think the majority of circumstances. Like I don't think people should stay in jobs that they don't like. I I I yeah. I would. You shouldn't stay tied to a mortgage, for example, if you can sell it and move on. If you yeah, need to. yeah. Like if you want to travel, travel. Yeah, and and I don't think I don't think it necessarily extends to marriages either. Yeah. Um, for 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 example, to be clear, like yeah. yeah. Well, while, where while, you have a child, while, I presume, is where you draw Well, I think there is a certain kind of level of responsibility to with with a marriage to 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 not like obviously I'm not married, so I'm not a, an expert, but to to kind of like work on your differences and those sorts of things yeah. and kind of like to make it work. Yeah, exactly. But but when you have a child, it you I feel like you have a responsibility to that child, and you don't you don't get to just. Watch sadly um, from the roof of the car park across the way yeah, and drive off and into the night. Decide that it's best for the child if the child um, is not raised by me, because you're not doing that for the child. You're doing that for you. Okay, my counterpoint to that would be, and again, I don't, I don't know what it is, um, and I think part of this is also motivated in some way by specific family circumstances. But like my attitude would be, if a parent says they can't or won't care for a child. I generally understand the, the, the walking away and the respecting that the child needs to be cared for by somebody else. Um, like, I understand that there are people who are not in a psychological place, an emotional place, who are not in a place where they can care. And while it's it's good that they would try, and while they do, I would argue they should have an obligation to care in the uptake of a child, I also think that it's, it is possible that in some cases the best interests of the child are served by a parent not being there. As long as there is a, a this, replacement structure, this, this is very broad. This example is very. It, yeah, it, yeah, you're in, right. In this sorry. movie, it's very willy nilly. Yeah, it's kind of like there, there's, there's a very kind of easy. Yeah. Decision that that, yeah, that this really character makes to to 
to to to to walk away. It feels like it kind of suits him. Yeah, and they're kind of whimsical point of view and their like kind of philosophy on life is like oh i'm i'm just like a, a flower blowing in the wind and uh, caught on the breeze a you, leaf on the uh, breeze yeah 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 i um well here's a question. I, I have come into your life and we have sh- sh- shared <laughs> these, special, these moments. special moments and now i must go and they will be of, with you forever yeah it's not that he can't it's just that like he can't be decided bothered. to yeah well, this is the question i mean do you think because like, you talked about the movie Central Mystery, which is the central mystery is that he disappears into the desert for four years and wanders out and not being able to speak, covered in bruises and battered and all this sort yeah. of stuff. And Walt <clears throat> in particular, Walt, who is the character perhaps which I am most sympathetic in this film, um, yeah, he asks really, repeatedly. I really, really like Walt in this. Yeah, he asks more, repeatedly. More than any other character. Because yeah. I'm not, I'm not, like, because like, I, I think like Anne, similarly, she's full of all of those sorts of understandable kind of anxieties and neuroses of yeah. of, of of adulthood walt is more kind of like grounded but walt o- is... open to 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 both the concrete adult world and also kind of willing to are able to understand like he's sympathetic to travis but he, he pushes him yeah, like so for example seems, he's yeah he he said he basically he pushes Travis to talk for the first time, and it's only because Walt pushes him that he talks. Now Walt never threatens to walk away or to abandon him or yeah. anything like that, but he knows that in you order see, for this to progress, Travis needs to talk. There's a moment a later kind on of a, an interlocutor between this kind of real world and yeah. and Travis's world, and it happens again later at the dinner table where Walt suggests they watch a family movie in order to jog Travis's memory, yeah. and Anne's response is, "You don't want to push him," and like Tra- and Walt, who clearly cares a great deal about Travis, he's mm. not doing it because he wants Travis out of his way. He's not doing it because he wants to get rid of him he's doing it because he thinks it's the best thing for travis yeah. he insists no travis is ready to watch this movie and that is what spurs travis on then i think after that point but there's this tension i think between Anne and walt that is understandable where Anne is worried that walt is maybe going to let go of hunter like i think Anne has basically built up this family with there, herself yeah, and, and i mean that is a that is a problem with walt as a character in that he he kind of it, he it seems to an extent yeah. he kind of allows that to happen and he says oh i love him too kind of like where where i mean he's brought it up kind of like several times in the movie he brings it up like in in the car when they're driving back he says you know you know hunter's been with us for four years he's kind of our son <laughs> You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, just jump just taking this opportunity where you can't talk or disagree to kind of lay <laughs> things out as they are and make it perfectly clear. Yeah, yeah. Your son. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he and he does it like Walt is the one who makes a point to to call to make sure that Hunter calls uh, Travis' father, for example, and stuff like that. Like there, there is this, oh, and and also I think Travis make makes it clear to Hunter that it's okay to call Anne his mother. Yeah. Because, like, Hunter, Hunter is like, oh, sorry, I, 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 I meant Anne. And it's like, oh, it's okay to say mom. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. And I, th- I think that's fair. But there is, like, there is this thing where Walt is, as you point out, this interlocker between the two. He repeatedly asked Travis to explain where he's been for four years wandering through the desert with this yeah. baseball cap and business suit. 
And it's never actually explained. Like even at the end where Travis explains what happened, he explains that he had this fight with Jane and he wandered out into the wilderness. Into so, it. A lot of explanation, but not really. Yeah, it's one of those like lost explanations. It's like, yeah. well, you find out what, what the character motivation is and what the decisions are that led to this point. But you're also like, so what did he eat and drink for four years? Yeah. Like, was he with other people? Did he like join a circus traveling troupe? Did he just sit in the desert and he meditate? He seems to have made shoes out of rattlesnakes. <laughs> yes. Um, and somehow fashioned a suit. But yeah, the suit looks remarkably well for four years of wear. But I mean, it, in fairness, it, I think it hints at this idea of... And it's this idea of this fascination that I think European directors have with America. Because we sort of... We talked about... And again, this is the thing where I, I talk and I'm not sure if it sounds like airy-fairy, sort of like, you know, like... Freudian nonsense or whatever. Where uh, I talk, here we go. I know Andrews are very excited. Uh, <laughs> we're going to use the word deep brown vagina. But um, no, I think that this idea of like the psychogeography of the United States, this idea of like the continent being so vast and so open and so infinite, like there's this recurring notion. We talked about it on Chinatown, where like you have this idea that certain parts of America represent certain ideas. So like for example, California and Los Angeles in particular represent like the end of Manifest Destiny. The limit of like the you know the American frontier, the point where the land or the desert gives way to the ocean, the you know the calm on moving ocean, where you have this idea of this vast middle of the United States, and it's repeatedly described like you know Walt describes finding or sorry Travis in the middle of the Mojave, which doesn't even have a name, and you know Travis himself talks about when he wandered away from Jane, wanting to go to a deep vast country where nobody knew his name. There's a sense that, like, the United States is this infinite, vast network of places and, like, connected by roads. representing. Well, yeah, but that there's this infinite sort of, like, like... Delaware traditionally represents indifference. Yeah, Cincinnati represents, like, bland functionalness. Um, yeah. But no, okay, fine. I'm talking about the... No, 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 go ahead. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm too quick to kind of... Um, no, it's a fair point. It is a fair point. I, it's a very broad, very generic term. But it's like, like, because one of the things is Wenders as a director likes making road movies. Um, yeah. And there's this interesting connection between the German new wave of like the, the 1970s and 1980s and the, the American cinema and the engagement of American cinema. Because we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how much this movie clearly loves America. Yeah. But there's... I, I find this funny as well. Like, kind of like this... Tommy Tommy Wiseau who who did the room. Yes. He's like, where where, where is he you, from? Where eh? are you from? He's like, I'm American. <laughs> I'm as American as apple pie. <laughs> and no, sorry, that was terrible. That was very Christopher Walken. <laughs> but yeah, you you get the sense of yeah, this this like yeah this. America is a place of wanderers. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. sort of like, and there is like even in the film itself, like uh, Walt has married a French woman named Anne, even though he has never been to Paris, for example. Yeah. Um, both Walt and Travis talk about their own mother being Spanish, for example. Yeah. Like, there is this sense of like uh, movement and immigration, a place where people long to be. But there's also this sense of like, for the German directors who are working uh, in the seventies and eighties, and particularly Wenders, like in his movie Kings of the Road, which is the last of his his road movie trilogy. There's this recurring motif of basically characters driving along roads and discovering that they've been closed off or blocked off because obviously they're between East Germany and West Germany or East Berlin and West Berlin. And even within, say, um, this idea of like, was it Wings of Desire, where you have this metaphor of the wall, which is this static thing that's holding people in and sort of like stopping people from being together and sort of like freezing a nation in, in time and apart. 
Like for those directors, when they looked at the States, I think they saw just this vast, infinite freedom. These roads that do not end, that span the country where you can turn off and you can discover a place. Like, for example, obviously, Travis has bought this land in Paris, Texas that he'd never been to, that he yeah. he bought the lot because he saw it in a magazine. This, this movie really made me want to buy a vacant lot somewhere. Yeah, but you I've, could, I like, like, I've, um, you can take a part of the country and make it your own. It's infinite and vast and you yeah. can find yourself. And again, this is that airy fairy unresponsible crap that you were holding Travis to account for. Travis goes off into the wilderness and finds himself because America is so big that you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very torn between being kind of like a romantic and like... Well, a grown up. Yeah, yeah. Between like, oh, you, you should. Um, uh, I'm always trying to hold that kind of like dichotomy in intact. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, people are people are complicated, and I mean, like, people are not entirely consistent, and I think it's reasonable to have that sort of conflict, particularly on something that is important to you. Yeah, I think. I think. Uh, but yeah, so let's talk about how this movie loves America, because this movie loves America. It does. It does it's do. saturated with red, whites, and blues. The color in this movie is amazing, and there's a lot of it's not just red, white, there's and, green and blue. Well. There's a lot of green and yellow. Yeah, the green parking, um, but even the green nightclub. Where, that, yeah, yeah, and where 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 above him, there's 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 this red kind of purple and blue um, sunsets. Yeah. yeah, it's just the, stri- the striking. The colors in these movies are. It's so it's so vivid and so rich and stuff like that. I mean, even stuff like the the costuming where he's wearing the red shirts while driving inside the blue pickup truck and stuff yeah. like that. The the murals on the wall with the Statue of Liberty and, and you know we've talked about how this is maybe a western. The only Native American who appears is one painted on a wall, for example. Like, yeah. but there is this sense of like the movie is very much about like about America. There's even when himself and Hunter are going to sleep in in that sort of warehouse like room. There's a glowing Coke machine in the background. There's all this richness and this this sort of vividness to it, and there's a there's a sense, and it reminds me actually of when I went to, and maybe maybe this is the the idea of the European going to the states, because when I went to Florida, and obviously Florida, many people would argue Florida is not the quote unquote real states, that it, it exists as its own entity, its own unique identity. Right. But I remember we but traveled like, a bit. Like, I, I, it always annoys me when people talk about. Oh, that's not the real America. Um, yeah, or when 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 people talk about Spain and a whole vast portion of Spain where it's where it's all Tourist English, English, German, Dutch, older uh, migrants. I don't call them expats because they're migrants. Why are yeah. they Why are they expats just because they're yeah. Europeans? Well, because the but, migrant is is a loaded word now. Yeah, I think yeah. Is the reason they, why you do that. Yeah, well, it's because it's because a lot of these expats don't like migrants yes that you end up with this sort of dichotomy yeah. it's like oh I, I like i had to get out of england it was full of migrants so yeah. i migrated uh, <laughs> yeah over yeah to, to but, Spain. but they it, anno- it annoys me somewhat when there's this idea that there there are the real parts of a country and then there are the like ersatz um uh sections like it after a certain point that is part of the of the identity of a thing. Yeah. Like the the plastic kind of temple bar fake Irish stuff is is now and and by the way Indelibly part and, of Irish culture. Yeah, and that's not new. Like like yeah. uh, like to take Ireland as an example, a lot a lot of um Irish culture is is kind of made up. Like 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 in Irish yeah. da- Irish dancing. 
the 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 one the ones that they do in 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 like the competitions and that yeah and even like the the costumes that they wear yeah. all of that stuff is just well, I mean a lot of, a lot of the stuff dates back to you know the turn of the twentieth century even though yeah. we make it look a lot older because of, of our own national identity crisis but the idea the idea of there being like like these things become part of even even yeah. though even though they're kind of like exaggerated um, yeah, or, yeah. or sort of not necessarily deemed to be part of the core identity yeah. or it's like oh th- this this isn't this isn't your mcdonald's this is a real american restaurant and it's like no mcdonald's <laughs> is a real american restaurant yeah yeah exactly and i mean one of the, but that's it one of the things that sort of struck me about say florida as opposed to new york where you're in the city all the time when we travel around florida and and the movie captured it very well it's just the sheer neonness like that's the big difference between driving on the roads in, in say, Europe, in France, in Germany, as opposed to the autobahns or wherever, or driving in the US is the amount of, say, neon uh, and the signage. And it just has a different sort of texture and feel to it. And it like watching this, it captured that sense very well, particularly when, say, Walt and Travis were, were moving. Like yeah. where you would have the neon signs in the background, you have there the phone booth, you have the glow. San Bernardino and yeah. the, there's the, the, which they use in a lot of movies. I, I think yeah. it's in... Uh, P.E. Herman's Big Adventure. And, you point that out, actually. Yeah, and uh, I guess we're also familiar um, with it from GTA Five. Yeah, there's like a version of it there, but yeah, the, there's a lot of interesting kind of shots in this movie. Yeah, and a lot of beautiful compositions. And I mean, yeah. like, even when you're, you're the characters are driving along the road, like Wenders does this thing repeatedly where he will have scenes that are shot either outside a vehicle as it's moving. Or inside a vehicle, but looking at the road as it's passing by, and you will hear the characters talking on the track. It's interesting because it feels almost like you're watching a commentary rather than a movie. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, watching like Planet Earth, but narrated by Harry Dean Stanton, where like you'll have these scenes of the car driving along the road, and you'll have him talking to Hunter about things like traveling through space. Yeah, this sort of stuff, and you have this sort of like even Walt and Travis, I think, have a few of those conversations as well. Like, there's this, this fascination with, like, the road and movement. And it's telling, I think, to get back to what I was talking about, like, this, this Freudian psychogeography nonsense or whatever it is, where you have, like... Uh, you don't have to say it's nonsense, Darren. Um, you just you just think it really loud. No, but, no. It's, uh, stand up for yourself. The, the dynamic of, of, of... Well, there's two ways this is going to work. I I don't think I can bully you and, and, and have you just kind of, like... You either have to get angry, uh, <laughs> uh, or, or, or like the, the defend yourself. The, the, this, the, there, there needs to be friction. Yeah. Darren's attempts to maintain an amicable podcast atmosphere <laughs> are working much to no, the disadvantage. People want dramatic tension. They do. They want conflict and drama. Damn it. Yeah. But um, I do think though that it is interesting that like Walt goes you to get me in the editing. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I'll get you back for that. But yeah. there is this sense of like Walt uh, traveling, Walt and Travis going to uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. Travis, take a look around. Uh, Los Angeles may be representing the end of this because it is like Ebert argued when he was talking about the film, and I will include his review in the show notes. Uh, but he made the argument that it's a Western, functionally speaking, except one of the things that it does that is interesting is that it doesn't play into the classic Western conflict of the, the desert against the city. Like you have this in the Westerns, we talked about this when we talked about Logan, where you had this idea of like the typical arc of a Western is a rough man in an uncivilized world realizing that he's been made redundant. Like it's a guy fighting to make a more civilized and ordered world. And you have this idea of the two not being able to coexist. 
and what what Ebert argued about this film in particular was that you got this it's not about the city versus the desert it's about traveling from the desert to the city so it's about like it's about Travis wandering out of the desert traveling to Los Angeles leaving Los Angeles and then going back to to Houston but then reuniting the family together in the city like you have this idea of like well, Houston is the city that's what I'm saying, yeah, Houston yeah. is the city. So you have this idea of him, he goes to Los Angeles, which represents, which I would argue represents the end of the American dream manifest destiny of this idea of the limitless frontier. It's basically the unyielding Pacific Ocean. But yet somehow when he's there, he discovers a new frontier. He heads back inwards, he heads to another city, which is Houston, Texas, and he finds something there. He finds something more meaningful there than he does in Los Angeles with Walt and Anne, I think. So you have this sort of interesting, I think, not inversion, but sort of twist, maybe on the classic Western which format. Which one is East Berlin? Which one is West Berlin? It's fascinating. I, I think you could argue that it is engaging. One of the reasons that maybe this engaged German filmmakers was because during the eighties, Berlin represented the end of the West, which is ironic given that it lay to the east. But it was basically the boundary of what was known as the Western world. And there's this interesting thing in uh, the movie Atomic Blonde this year, sort of touches on this theme and this idea. Which is that the the sort of the the Berlin Wall represented the last frontier for the West. It represented the last boundary that could be set, the last sort of like point at which there were enemies over there that could be conquered, that there was ideological space to be claimed. This Fukuyama idea of the end of history, yeah. which obviously has been disproven in in like two, since well, two thousand one. Well, yeah, p- people. I was reading your book, and your 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 um, what was it? The the nineties as like between two deaths. Yes. Yeah. Where, where between like the, the, the fall, fall. fall of the Berlin Wall and At 9-11 you had yeah. this period where people were like well what do we do now yeah no it is 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 the end of the Cold War the, the, the fall of the, the Berlin Wall there, there is a there is a, a year or two yeah, after isn't there there is there, there's like an argument over whether whether it's 89 or 90 when, when, when the Berlin Wall falls is it 90 when Germany reunifies, or is it like nineteen ninety one, where the Warsaw Pact like, break up? Yeah, I, I like the way we make it sound like a boy band. <laughs> the Warsaw Pact was the best boy band. I was a yeah. big fan of. of... So they got like a a Cold War video. Uh, sorry, not a Cold War video. A game, board game. A, a board game, and the whole thing is like at the end of the game, like either USA or USSR wins. So it, it it's either the USSR or USA. Now now those are the t- the, the two uh, yeah. superpowers during the Cold War. Now in in reality the US won, yeah. and we're all kind of living, living, in, living that world. in 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 that world. But in the other version where the USSR wins, I believe the Berlin Wall still falls, and everyone <laughs> runs over, over to the other east. side. Oh. Yeah. Um, just to be free. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, yeah, everything kind of, like, we're one international and, and everyone has, like, kind of... Uh, Brotherhood, yeah, unity, yeah. strength, workers. But, yeah, there's, like, a kind of basic standards for everyone and a sense that there isn't really the kind of, like... <laughs> The, I, I guess the the, the freedom raw the, on feel, yeah. Uh, yeah, on yeah, feeling yeah. capitalism uh, of liberal democracy your weak liberal democracy has failed you Andrew yeah but I uh, wonder if we would have figured it out by now would 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 we, I, would I, we have gotten past this uh, the totalitarian point of, stage? Of stage state socialism and like command economy would we I, actually be owning the, the this is the means of distribution hole. yeah I, I get the well, sense... we do own the means of distribution. 
we're, this podcast is Female the revolution, yeah. yeah. But I, I, feel, I, I get the sense <laughs> this that... This is if, where we make most of our money. Yeah. I feel like if the, if the, if the Cold War had gone the other way uh, yeah. to play out your hypothetical board game, I suspect that we would be living in a, uh, in a totalitarian state, an explicitly totalitarian yeah. state. Like, I don't think that, like, this is the thing where people argue about, like, socialism was tried and failed. Socialism was not really tried and failed. There's and a, I say this there, as a liberal capitalist. There are a capitalist. certain amount of people, a certain kind of person from countries behind the 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 old kind of Iron Curtain or the Warsaw Pact countries, like Romania, for example, who who say, who say to you, you know what, uh, during those times, like, like people had jobs and they they and got they, fed yeah, yeah 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 and, and and that's there there are different kinds of problems now yeah and they they can see the 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 the, the kind of now I'm sure there are people listening to this it's like what is Andrew talking about yeah <laughs> I I would not be nostalgic I, I, for the, like, no yeah I have a certain amount of kind of like um, sympathy for, this is again has nothing to do with the, the episode this is my specialization it's just derailing the, <laughs> the podcast yeah but i mean i think though it does tie into this idea of like the german the germans new ways fascination with uh with basically with america it's this idea because i think you could argue that in the 80s berlin in particular and i mean you like it's such a cliche in these movies that are set in the cold war in like atomic blonde I think you also saw it in The Good German or whatever, where you have Berlin described as the new Wild West or whatever. Right. But you have this idea of like Western Europe becoming this American frontier, where you have this paradoxical movement of what was... Stuff is, it's, it's like the, the Jean Le Carre, the spy who came in from the cold yeah. and uh, like Smiley's people. And yeah, the... I mean, even at the time, people yeah. recognise this. It's not like we're retroactively casting it as that. Yeah. And I think that it maybe that's reflected back this weird. I love this sort of weird Cold War. And again, this is me disappearing down the sort of Freudian rabbit hole myself. But this sort of contrast of having like this huge open manifest destiny, like this idea of what the Americans thought the West was, the frontier. And having basically the Western frontier effectively lie far to the east of the United States. And you have like there's this even this wonderful scene where when they go to the beach, what you're talking about when they go to the beach in uh, in the video, in the home movie video, uh, in the home movie video, Darren uses words right. But where it's it's they go to East Beach um, in, in Los Angeles, which is fascinating because obviously East Beach, is a place, East, Beach, East Beach is a place that exists, but it's East Beach on the West Coast. Yeah, like it's uh, I I just I love that level of contradiction, like having a German film director There's... come and make a Western. Uh, they're they're here again at the beach too. Oh, those two old guys with the young beautiful <laughs> wives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's another thing that makes this movie very European. It's like <laughs> uh, there's a woman. She was seventeen, maybe eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> what are the laws here? I I don't know. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah. The actual dialogue was like maybe she was seventeen. Oh, you're right. Actually, you are apparently right. Yeah. Eighteen. It's like. What's the difference? <laughs> um, and and a man uh, much older. Um, yeah, that's another thing which kind of like worth, firmly rooted this in European cinema. Where, worth where, noting where, that where, even though even though Jane is supposed to be American and, and Natasha Kinski does a reasonably passable American accent, she's an East German actor as well. Or she's a German actor. Apologies. Yeah. So it, there is that weird sort of continental thing going on as well. The, any, any, Older men and much younger women. To, to um, was it Klaus Kinski? I wonder. To the fact I machine. Believe, I believe she might be. And we're back from the fact machine. Yeah, daughter of Klaus Kinski. 
Yeah, yeah, N nothing yeah. improper there. No, not at all, despite Andrew's assertions on European uh, <laughs> re gender relations. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it is, it's, it's uh, a... I think, I think, like, when, when we were talking about Chinatown just very recently, there was a, there, there, there was an implication that even before, uh, that, that there might be something wrong with, I could never think of it then, and I, I can still, still May, not... December romances. Yeah, yeah. Of, so, well, I mean, that's an exaggeration. Yeah, But, but yeah. A, an Where, age difference in a relationship between a man and a woman, a woman and a man. Yeah. I, I think the, the kind of established kind of book on it is that you need to be aware of, of what dynamics there are and be comfortable with them. Like and I, it, I think yeah. that generally the, the, my opinion would be that it's okay as long as I would be wary of any relationship where the adult knew their the younger companion as a child. I feel like if they met while both parties were adults, the age difference matters yeah. less to me. I think in 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 this in this uh, in this movie it seems to be that like like he's saying that she was basically <laughs> just 17. about yes yeah but yeah it is it is and I mean it's again it's one of those things one of those cliches that tends to go right. it, it, no it, it doesn't seem to, and 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 the like the whole thing about him not treating her particularly well. Tying like, her to the cooker it, with a belt, right? If I remember correctly, at one point. Oh yeah. yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> to be clear, about did it. I just say not treating her particularly well? Domestically I forgot, abusing. I forgot that that escalated quite quickly. Yeah. Tied a yeah. cowbell around her ankle. Yeah. You not see, a healthy relationship. I'm perfectly happy with him not being this part like of this. Like, like normal stuff, <laughs> you know. And then my you, last three relationships. You know how it goes. <laughs> You tie, you tie a cowbell around her ankle, but of course they put a sock in it to keep her quiet. So you end up having <laughs> to go out and tie him to the cooker with their yeah. own belt while you fall asleep, listen to them scream. as old as time. Yeah. But it is, it's amazing how quickly that monologue escalates. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's amazing how quickly the story escalates because it goes from like, you know, he, he quit work so he could spend time with her and she'd get nervous about money like, and he'd go out late and they'd play mind games with each other. And before you know it, somebody's got a cowbell on their ankle. He does not explain himself. None of this stuff is okay. You you yeah. you haven't you haven't made it like like it seems like she's like oh oh Travis it's okay. Yeah, I you understand now. Yeah, I understand your perspective on this. Yeah, I understand why you had to tie a cowbell around my ankle. Yeah, and tie me with a belt to the cooker. Um, well, to be honest, that is the reason why I think it's perfectly okay that he leaves at the end. That is that is to be honest, like that coupled with his jealous outbursts and his first encounter with her. I'm quite happy to he's say. A big keep him up. Yes, that would yeah. be what I would say. Yeah, he is not a good person. No. And I mean, I think maybe that's what the film's trying to say because I think there's this perception of Travis is in many ways presented as like an archetypal American guy. He's this. He's introduced from the wilderness. He's got this big bushy beard yeah. going on. I mean, you you would hope that as the older person in the relationship, he would be the more mature, level-headed. Yeah, person. yeah. No. no turns out not not at all and i feel like and it's it's great as well teaching a young person that this is what relationships are like <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 it's like uh remember this is your bar yeah don't worry you're, you'll thank me when you're happily married and it will every you will thank yeah. every day you'll be able to put up with a lot uh of, yeah, a lot like, of really terrible situations because of like the grounding that i've given yeah you. the gauntlet i mean yeah yeah this is basically, we're running a marathon, you'll be sprinting for the rest of your life. It's fine. Uh, 
terrible. It really is. It really is. To be absolutely clear on this, and I think, and I know, I, I know, I know, I know, I'm very ju- uh, be, like, being very like judgmental, <laughs> but he does. Uh, he does Darren tie is a quite cowbell. right. Yeah, he does tie a cowbell <laughs> to her and tie her. I've to never her. done that. <laughs> I like that. I feel the need that you needed to clarify that. Yeah, I have also never done that while yeah. while we're listing it's things that we haven't gives done. People ideas. It's dangerous. It is. It's it's a radical subversive thing. Yeah. But I, I think maybe that's what the movie's trying to say though in some ways is that like Travis is, is so, definitely something that Wim Wenders or one of his friends has done <laughs> sort of just it's casually like, bring it up yeah, what you mean yeah. you've never done this I imagine like a whole lot of artsy bohemian intellectuals <laughs> and it's like uh, my uh, girlfriend she wasn't uh, we, we we were having an essential uh, difference uh, between I go swish and she goes wash and uh, so I so I tie her to the bed and she has cowbell. Uh, I, I don't know what language, no, what, what, accent, what, what accent this is. It's, <laughs> this, this is completely like nuts. This whole kind of like backstory, uh, uh, backstory about. But I like, mean, you talk about that as if this idea of the. We'll talk a little bit about the weird brothel he's this setup there. Whimsical character and for most of the movie. Yeah, he's this yeah, innocent, childlike, like. Yeah. And, 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 and the this, scenes of him playing with is, Hunter become a lot creepier in this, this context. Is, yeah, and this is all within the kind of um, kind, like final fifteen minutes. Everything in the movie is, is like he kind of gets a, a, a sort of like in the world of the movie he kind of gets a pass because he's this whimsical kind of uh, fairy Figure creature who's wandered out. Yeah, yeah and, and and he gets drunk like uh, and is kid is like kind of he's 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 his child is in his care and he's he's getting like drunk and passed out yeah well i mean there's the scene where yeah where and, it looks almost fall, like falling like asleep in 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 the car i i yeah. I, I, I wanted uh there in, to be the scene when he was where 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 one of them were saying to the other can you say over, please? Uh, <laughs> on, the, on, the uh, on the walkie-talkie over? It, it is worth noting that his big father-son bonding moment is basically teaching his son how to stalk his mother. Yeah. Because it is, they, they go on like a sting operation. And they make it fun with walkie-talkies. It, but... did, it did make me want to, when I have a kid, kind of do activities with them. <laughs> I, <laughs> like I, I was, stalking? I was, on, I was on my way here, and we went past the skate park, and there was a kid on a BMX, and their parent was there kind of like watching, supervising. And I was thinking, I'm going to be the really lame yeah. who, who want to have his own BMX. So like when, when uh, I'll be asking the kid like, oh, when did we go to you, BMX? Yeah, do you want to go to a BMX park? And it's like, I would kind of like to go either on my own or with friends, but not with you, you big loser. Yeah. Um, I can take you to the BMX yeah. park, dad. How about that? Yeah. I'll sit in the sidelines and watch. Well, no, because there, there is a certain element of that. Like, there's even the moment when, after he goes to visit Jane for the first time, when they go back to sort of, like, this weird warehouse place where they're staying with the Coke machine in the background, it's framed almost as if, like, Hunter is a therapist talking to him, where he's lying down on the couch, sort of ready to fall asleep. And, like, Hunter puts away his coat, whereas, on the other hand, Travis just drapes his coat across him and falls asleep and curls up. But it does almost look like Hunter is a therapist, like, helping Travis get his mind together. Mm. And it's, there's there is a sense that like he's he's innocent and doe eyed and sort of like this almost manic dream pixie 
Stanton uh, yeah. figure, which is, and I think the movie does let him off for a lot of that. And I think that, yeah, you're right. When they get to that scene at the end, the big emotional climax where he talks about his relationship, a lot of that comes out of left field and a lot of it doesn't feel properly processed. But I, I do feel like that's stuff that makes it okay that he doesn't stay at the end. I feel like if the movie had allowed him to stay with his family or it suggested that him staying with his family was a healthy thing for all of them, I would have been more wary of it. Or if it had suggested like a, a, because I think there's a certain, which is the weird thing about it was it seemed to imply a, a kind of a redemption. And then he like disappears. Like the, the, it seems like the redemption for me, should imply that he's going to stay do and be the, the responsible thing father that, that he was meant to do, like from the beginning. Yeah, but no, it's like this redemption was for me entirely. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I am going to leave you all. No, I well, this redemption um, was bringing the two of you together and realizing that I'm a destructive wreck of a human being who can't yeah. be trusted not to tie one of you to a kitchen, to, you know, to a not to a kitchen, to a to a cooker. Yeah, he he went he went off to marry a kitchen, <laughs> uh, where he could be happy and have yeah. all his his belt related needs met. Yeah, um, the cowbell doesn't ring as much, but I feel the cowbell only rings twice. Um, that's your that's your sort of psycho thriller version. There were blue of flames, and I ran out, um, and you were tied to the stove, so presumably you were dead. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look back, and I kept yeah. running, and I kept running, and I kept running. <laughs> Um, and you're like, yeah, the worst person ever. Yes, quite possibly. Yeah, but I, I do feel like the movie's maybe making that point in a way. It's not as barbed as it as it could be. It's not as brutal yeah. as it could be. But I think it's deconstructing this idea of American masculinity in a way that it's like, I think Travis embodies sort of an idea of masculinity that is very old fashioned. That's very like you don't talk about your feelings. You're very stoic and you're very withdrawn. Like, I mean, and maybe, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not a traditionally masculine guy, but I'm not very talkative about how I feel. And there's this idea that that's how men are. And I feel like the movie sort of sets up and presents this yeah, idea yeah, of Travis I, as a rugged guy. Think, and it I says, think, well, look. I think in a lot of ways you're, 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 you, you, you have kind of like a, a, a lot of traditional embodiments of, of, of masculinity, a certain kind. Like you, 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 you haven't, you haven't kind of fallen into that twenty first century sort of um, uh, hipster. You, uh, sort yeah, of. you're still in the kind of eighties thing, <laughs> uh, thing of like uh, real men don't make quiche. <laughs> um, I will. I would love to be able to make quiche. I just quiche can't. Is pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, but uh, like like real men cook steak. <laughs> Exactly. You're 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 a man who who likes his meat. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You're and stoic and silent and so on and so forth. But I I think that the movie is sort of hinting at that idea that maybe, like while Travis embodies these qualities, and let's let's keep in mind he's introduced wearing a red baseball cap and a business suit. Right. Like he is in many ways like if you were to pick an American image, he could not have been if he'd walked out wearing like lead wearing sort of chaps and a cowboy hat. Maybe that would be slightly more American, but. There is this sense of him as this notion, this American masculinity. This he's know, literally the, the strong and silent type for the first twenty-seven minutes. He kind of s- spoke a bit more of the migrant to me. No, oh, yeah. of someone who who not who, being able to speak rather who, than not choosing yeah, to speak. Well, like like who arrives and kind of um, is trying to kind of like 
fit into that world like and and you know um integrate and get a job so he has a suit but it's a very cheap suit yeah but they're and he's wearing the baseball cap because people wear baseball caps yeah. even though it doesn't go with the suit for example yeah it's not a well the current president of the United States might disagree on that particular point, but you get the sense that, yeah, it's sort of, it, it, there is something very put together about his costume, like a child dressing as an adult. I mean, yeah. there's even, there is even a scene where he tries on a costume to determine, like, what a man looks like. There's a scene midway through the movie where, when he's in the house alone by himself while Anna's out and Walt is working, where he's talking with the maid, and he's looking through sort of these magazines, and he's basically wondering, what does a father look like? And it leads to this nice little dress up sort of sequence and stuff like that. But there's, I wonder if the film is sort of making this point about like America, about say American pop culture, not having role models for fathers where it's like, where he's asking, what does a father look like? And it's very hard to describe. The maid can't really point him to a particular picture or particular image. And it's worth pointing out that like in the movie goes out of its way to have all these television screens in all these scenes. Like there's a great scene where they're staying in a motel himself and Walt and the camera looks at his reflection, but the, the television is sitting right next to it as if to say, can he see himself reflect on the TV? Later on when Hunter's in the hotel room, he's having dinner, eating dinner off the top of the TV. Like, I think that maybe the film is saying something about like masculinity and, and role models and this idea of American masculinity and the image of like what an American man is and what an American man should be. Question. Go for it. Am I going too far? No, no, no. Does Travis have like a like a fifty IQ? <laughs> um, yes. Is he? Yes. Is uh, he? Is he like Baby Driver? Is what we're asking. Yeah. Like. 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 What? Yeah. I'm not sure. I I think that something happened. Is that to have... what the? Is that what the kind of explanation of this whole thing is? Because there's also a thing of like, oh, he he wanted to be with with his 18 year old girlfriend so he left his job yeah like uh, he was clearly not able to be a responsible adult in a very, yeah yeah any tangible and, and then would like spend more time with her and then get another job when he realized yeah, that he was yeah. running out of money which is something an adult would realize like you don't quit your job so you don't run out of money but he seemed to exist in a world where he could quit his job then go oh my god there's no money get another job quit that job and go oh my god there's no money again yeah. get another job and so on and so forth Maybe that's right. Maybe that's maybe that's that's fair. Actually, maybe maybe he was always childish. Maybe it isn't like a regression in this case. Maybe it's a and maybe even the fact that he has a seventeen year old seventeen year old girlfriend is yeah. intended by the film as a reflection of his own mental age. I mean, I I don't know. Actually, there's a there's a good point because there is a bit of Forrest Gump about him. Yeah, and I you know that's sort of and I wonder maybe if that's an idea of an archetypal American character that's one that's very different from the masculinity that I was talking about earlier but aside from the fact that he appears like like a grown up what what, what is it about you that, that that what suggests a man as opposed to a child about yeah. him I think I think you're right actually I think you because he, he he fubs responsibility he's not willing to talk to Walt and Anne yeah. for example he makes he makes Hunter do that I mean, he's not willing to stick around at the end and actually do the grown-up work of being a family man. Yeah. Uh, he I loses control like of himself. An actual issue. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you're right, actually. Yeah. I um, mean, I don't know what it is, but there's definitely something. Yeah, going on there. I think maybe that's what it is. Maybe this is one of those things. Yeah. Gumpism. Yeah, the difference. <laughs> I like that. The, the the medical condition known as the developmental. Uh, the developmental well, I think there complication. Are different words that they used in the movie Forrest Gump for. Yes. But, yeah. But, but I don't think any of them accurately summed up what no. exactly he was or what, what exactly his state of yeah. mind was. 
There's an interesting sort of question. Is that like, because I mean, Forrest Gump is arguably another road movie as well, except it's a road movie through history. It's a whole uh, road movie. It's through, a movie like, that you don't like, isn't it? It's a movie that I like and dislike depending on my mood, depending on how ironic I think it is. I think if it's a very sincere movie, it's a terrible movie. If it's an ironic movie, it's oh, brilliant. Darren. <laughs> Darren has no heart, remember? Yeah. Except when it comes to Harry Dean Stanton and his abusing ways. Then Darren's <laughs> all about forgiveness. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a German director sort of coming at America. Because America, as a relatively young country... That, that's a kind of a trope in movies, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, um, where you're not presenting a character with a recognized and defined kind of intellectual psychological or, yeah, or condition. psychological condition yeah you just have like a, have them act weird yeah, yeah and you don't state what it is i mean because we talked about baby driver for example where yeah, it seems like yeah. where the character he obviously has tinnitus but he he very clearly seems to have some sort of developmental issue as well yeah. uh the, in- <laughs> yeah, the inability to determine right and wrong i would suggest but apparently i'm very hardcore <laughs> on such things but i do think yeah you're right about that and i wonder i wonder if in the case of say forrest gump and the case of this tying it to a road movie is like a reflection on the fact that america despite being like a global superpower is a relatively young country as far as say european directors or european sort of individuals would think like because obviously you have like these these empires and these sort of uh you know sort of countries that have existed for you know centuries if not millennia and right. then you have the united states that is only 200 years old and it's all of a sudden all up in the world it's like hey guess what we're running this now this is how it's going to be you guys best get used to it and yeah, i wonder if running there's... around like an adult <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do wonder if there is some sort of like old world, new world tension there. I, I kind of maybe I'm reading too much into it in this case, but I, I yeah. part of me and just... we, we admire the kind of like audacity of of yeah of, of American kind of like industry and innovation yeah. and like uh, sheer uh, sheer determinism, like the, yeah. the, the capacity to have built a nation and turned it into yeah. a global powerhouse yeah. while <laughs> Western Europe fell into decline and sort of decay. A lot of it is built on kind of belief. So yeah. it's that, child, that myth. childhood imagination. Yeah, if you believe. <laughs> and I mean, like, you have this idea of, like, you have this... And I wonder if the movie's sort of making this point when Travis says we're going to Houston and Hunter's first response is, well, that's where the space centre is. Yeah. And it's almost as if, like, the movie's making a connection between, like, Hunter's obsession with, say, Star Wars and space travel, where he's talking about light speed, for example, while they're driving, and Travis's idea that, like, he can get something similar by travelling on road by car. Like... Travis's idea that he can make the world a better place, oh, he, can, yeah. he can reunite by... There's by... this Rain Man thing as well, where yeah. it's like, oh, we, we have to we have to use the, we have to go in the same car. We yeah. have to go to the same car. Can't Even go... though they're all identical. Yeah, we can't go on a plane. Yeah, <laughs> can't go on a plane. Which can't, is... Can't go on a plane. It's such a great gag that the Simpsons reused it pretty much shot for shot on change, where you have the, tra- the plane driving down the runway and stopping. I think it took you a moment to register what was happening because it's one of yeah. those shots where Wender sort of dubs dialogue over a moving yeah. vehicle where you have like the slow realization that actually it turns out Travis is freaking out in the uh, in the airplane and they have to get off and they literally get off on the runway. They open the door and let them out and they wander away. Mm. But I do wonder if that's maybe what that is, if that's sort of tied to an idea of like... And the, 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 that's kind of like some of the kind of like qualms that I have about this movie, like the consistency... We never see Travis freak out, really. 
no. uh, seemingly he does something on the airplane that we don't see. Yes, that's you're right. Actually, that's a fair point. Kind of with, with, with how the film with presents him. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. one imagines that he would have to be really bad in order to stop the flight. Because yeah. no, nobody. We've been on. I've been on planes with people who don't travel well. Yeah. And who have not like. But they don't get kicked off. The they flight. don't get kicked off the flight for not traveling well. Like you yeah. wonder, like, did he take a steward hostage or something like that? Like you know. And he was on the flight as well, so yeah. they got him on the flight. They be at Baracus to <laughs> some <laughs> drugged milk. Yeah, ain't getting um, no plane, fool. But I feel like, yeah, I think maybe you're right, and I think that that is probably a very canny choice from Wenders to to preserve this idea of him as a useful, as yeah. a sort of like an, an innocent mind. While we're talking about like fantasy and stuff like that, is it worth talking about the brothel? at the end because the brothel is a very I don't know are our listeners asleep yet? <laughs> yeah there's a question <laughs> the brothel the brothel is a wonderfully weird creation because you were, were talking at the start in the like before we got to the spoiler zone this idea of like, it, like being, it's, it's it certainly being, not like any brothels I've been to but this idea of an American movie made by a European filmmaker and one of the things for me that was so European just, about it just to be clear <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I've been to any brothels I don't think. I like that. You you may have got B.A. Baracus to a brothel. Like, this, this, is, this is just a really nice house. This is the strangest kind of like, whoa. It's the what? oddest nightclub I've ever been to. Yeah, what, what, what's going on here? But I do wonder if that's sort of, because it is, that was the thing that sort of grabbed me. This is a, yeah, this is a film made by a European filmmaker where yeah. it's like, they have this sort of weird sex warehouse, which is like almost a parody of how Europeans think about Americans thinking about sex. Where they have these little booths that you go into and you pay for a fantasy. But the fantasy is behind glass but you can't touch. But the fantasy is also like some sort of wholesome well, imaginary that, that's existence. That's the thing. That's like a, a peep show. Yeah. But the, but the peep I, show is but the weirdly weird intricate. The thing about the peep show is you've got like all of these guys in tuxedos. Yeah, and bits of suits and cowboy <laughs> hats, suits, like wearing briefcases, like going going into. And this is again, it's this like is... it, I, 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 like somebody might ask them, "Oh, you're very dressed up. Where are you going? I, I'm going to to masturbate in, in in front of a woman pretending to make me to, to... a sandwich or in a yeah. diner." Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing. Is that this? It's this weird a sandwich. Thing. I get it. It's a weirdly sexless brothel, which is is kind yeah. of weird. Because it is what happens no, no, is they go like, into like she she does say I can maybe, take my maybe shirt you, off. Maybe, well she, she says that, but when he like implies that she's a prostitute, he says maybe you want one of the other girls. Okay, as like, if to so, say that there yeah. are girls who do go home. Yeah, and I mean, but there is this this sense that it's selling. It's not selling sex so much as a fantasy, which is like you go to a poolside and you well, meet a girl, or you go to a diner and you meet a girl. And it's this idea of like it's almost selling like a romantic fantasy as opposed to a sexual one. Well, it, it, these things are generally both as 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 in like the I've seen like documentaries about like um, what's the one that Rashida Jones does? Oh, the Netflix the Hot yeah, Girls yeah. wanted. Yeah, hot, so or it's, it's Hot Girls Please or something. And there's similar things like that on Netflix where they kind of like explore that industry. Yeah. Um, I imagine Thoreau has probably done one. Yeah, of yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. There, there's probably a um, what's it called? Weird uh, weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for some men, it's it's like kind of wanting kind of like companionship or someone to talk to, or like what like, Soderbergh described like, as the girlfriend experience. A, yeah, like a proxy girlfriend, and they buy them gifts and yeah. like all of this sort of thing. And, Where you purchase and, intimacy rather than sex. Yeah, yeah. 
And I mean, maybe that's what it is. And it's just sort of, it's weird to see that there and that it's this sort of commercialization of, like, this this idea of buying a... And, like, it's it's all it's all pretty, it's all pretty kind of creepy. Just oh, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Like, just... there, there's, there's, there's that movie Striptease, where there's the guy who's, Which like, is super creepy on its own terms. Yeah, it's... where there's the, the, the guy, I think, he gets murdered at some point. Uh, spoiler, on a boat, I believe, for yeah. Striptease. Where, now you don't where, have to watch striptease. Yeah, you can, where, you thank us in the. You should still you know. watch striptease. Um, where, no, showgirls. <laughs> um, if you have to watch one, watch me, showgirls. Not, yeah, I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> even cheesy stripper movies had their sort of Armageddon, sort of deep impact moment in the mid nineties, where it's like striptease and showgirls. Yeah, it's like yeah. we need some sort of murder mystery involving strippers, and <laughs> we need it now, damn it. Showgirls, a, a, a Paul Verhoeven. I was about movie. to say, that's like a Paul Verhoeven fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. obligatory RoboCop <laughs> reference. But I like that. Yeah. I like um, that you're the one advocating for striptease here. The, but um, in that movie, there's like this guy who's like, he has all of this weird stuff where it's almost kind of like, the the movie seems to posit the idea that this guy is okay because he's kind of in love with her. And, <laughs> and uh, he says like, oh, I would stalk you. Like, and it, well, he doesn't say stalk. He says, I, I, I like. I would love if, actually would, you. Yeah. If, um, if you were like a teacher, I, I, it's your like essence, not, not, not like your. <laughs> the fact you take off clothes for money in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> not your whopper yamyams. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And, and and that somehow makes me a more noble person I, because like even though I don't know you from Adam, yeah. I, I like. I know your I'm, essence. Yeah, I'm coming here to 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 pay for to like bask in your personality and that's fine and that's somehow less creepy and by the way i imagine if you talk to actual strippers those are the customers who they find particularly creepy are the ones who are like that who are like yeah "Yeah, i I want some false intimacy i want to pretend that i know you that i love you deep down you know i want to take you away from all this all this sort of stuff yeah um but i I do find something other times well i suppose it's it's very related to the movie in that we get that sort of fantasy of him arriving and taking her away we tried to we we tried to get a a stripper to come on and and offer some perspective on this yeah um particularly if there are any people who operate sort of themed phone booths um yeah peep shows uh that would be of particular interest but i mean i do i love how weirdly american it all is where it feels like because i mean you're talking about those guys in suits those guys in suits wearing cowboy hats carrying briefcases it's like wenders has sort of just populated and picked the most american images out of his mind with yeah. which to populate the film and i think that maybe and i mean like even when they go in <laughs> you're like, going to the baseball match <laughs> yeah it has that sort of quality to it it's like well what happens in an american strip club oh they probably pretend to be at a diner because diners are awesome like even the german doctor the german doctor has like a seat a booth outside his, yeah has a booth outside <laughs> his little surgery that's basically a diner in the yeah. sun this is re- amazing like it's very clearly that it's very clear that wenders loves and adores americana and it's sort of it's weird to see it shine through even in what's meant to be like the grotty grotty creepy scenes of it because like oh, you were right the first time it's grotty it's groppy yeah groppy i think that's that's the perfect word to describe what that environment should be but it's sort of infused with this weird almost romantic america you know americana sort of running through it where it looks like a set from anchorman at points yeah like it looks like you're about to watch in on the like the the team the anchor team from anchorman there's that guy upstairs who's who who seems kind of like menacing yeah and that where where you feel like this is i 
sense this is not a nice place to yeah. work. Yeah, and then you go downstairs, but there's really nice curtains, really nice carpets, and everybody's wearing a business suit with a suitcase. Yeah. It's like top shelf clientele. There's nobody groaning. There's never a sense that the floor is sticky. Um, it's like top class, top class all the way. There's even a nice mural outside of the Statue of Liberty as well, which I particularly like. Yeah, yeah, this, this, this is... Um... Like even the run-down parts of Wim Wenders America still look like they could be on a postcard that you could send your parents. Yeah. Although it does have that sort of Lynchian quality to it where there is something it's, ominous happening beneath, it's behind the, the curtain. It's the weird thing in kind of like um, leftist thought are like let's just say liberal um as opposed to conservative and their positions on like the sex industry yeah. and 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 prostitution and the position of uh, various strands of feminism on on the same uh, things yeah. yeah yeah that there isn't really like a consensus yeah. really is there there isn't and it's a very thorny issue as well because you see schisms sort of develop along those lines yeah um where 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 one view of it is um, it's well, liberating. It, yeah, it's, this, it's sort of third this, wave feminist. It's reclaiming something that was, you know, a yeah. masculine entertainment. And you could say, well, this just just is a commodity and has always been. Yeah. And um, when when you kind of like, there's um, nothing wrong with it as long as you empower women to use their own sexuality as opposed to exploiting it. Yeah, um, I, like like that's the kind of argument, and and yeah. and, and on the other the, hand, you have the idea that the, patriarchal culture can never be defeated, and it will always be exploiting, and any attempt to empower women is really just playing into that, which is the other side of the argument, I think, which is that you can never escape the patriarch, the male gaze, for example. Yeah, um, and it is it is something that I don't think there's consensus on, and it is sort of complicated, and it is difficult to to resolve and unravel. It's a yeah. Gordinian knot almost, you know. Yeah, and I, I, there are parts of it where it's kind of like, at what point do you say, um, kind of, we live in the world, the world is thus, and uh, at what point do you say, like, is it, like, do, do we do we hold out some kind of um, ideal of, 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 like, some kind of a utopia that we want to live in, and what... What in, people should be rather than what people yeah, are. In, yeah, and in, in that world, like, how... Um, Will there be a sex trade? Yeah, absolutely. Like and 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 if if there is a sex trade in that world, how would that sex trade work? Yeah, like what? Like I'm I'm not gonna field that question to no. be absolutely clear, <laughs> just in case, because it feels it feels like you were setting that up for expecting a, an answer. I feel like that may be a tangent on which this podcast uh, yeah. may not quite. Well, it's certainly it's not something that I want to be my uh, <laughs> traditionally glib self. Um, <laughs> when dealing with yeah yeah um but no it's uh there's um yeah there's something for daddy in this <laughs> um, yeah there was there was also inappropriate smoking as well lots of shots of walt smoking at the family table as well which was very nice while we're getting to the traditional 250 yeah, tropes exactly and, and i mean i feel like we haven't actually praised harry dean set enough so i said i got the sense we're sort of winding down but i feel like it's it's now is an appropriate place to say that Stanton is, is amazing in this. And I suspect yeah. a large part of my willingness to put up with Travis's crap yeah. um, is down to the fact <laughs> that, that he's played so by... We both kind of felt the same. Oh, no, I know. Object yeah. Objectively speaking, Travis is a horrible human being. Yeah. But I, I have this weird sympathy for him. And I suspect a lot of that's down to the fact that Stanton, when he plays him, feels like you can you get a sense that the character's lived in. Like, there's a sense that he's been through a lot, that he's been traumatized, he's sort of been brutalized by the world. That And at the same time, there's this weird innocence as well beneath it all. 
And it's sort of, it's all there and it's all layered. And he does it without doing much. Like, again, we pointed out that Travis doesn't speak for the first 27 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Uh, which is a, an amazing, like, it's very difficult to imagine a movie that isn't, say, Planet of the Apes, where you would have that happen. Or the artist. Kind of seems to, it's almost like he's playing different, there's a lot of development in Travis's character, kind of, in this movie. Yeah. So he he starts the movie as this kind of mute alien. Yeah. Um, almost a blank slate and then sort of yeah. grows into a child like particularly with his interaction with the hunter he's like yeah. he's a teenager almost and then he's this kind of surly drunk kind of yeah. um, when he's interacting with Jane you get a sense that this is who he was beforehand yeah um, and it's just it's like it's almost like it's amazing like we talked at the start about how Stanton was one of those actors who never felt like he aged a lot but like in this movie, even though his face doesn't change and it's only over two and a half hours, it's like he's yeah. lived an entire life. He's you know gone from baby. Gene Hackman was actually born like that. Fully developed. Um, oh, do you that know that? That is the way babies look. Yeah, they just look like Gene Hackman. Um, but uh, fun fact, do you know that uh, apparently Stanton roomed with uh, Jack Nicholson for a while and was best man at his wedding in 1962? Really? Yeah. So he was of that generation, to be clear. I also like the story that he was drinking he used to drink in LA bars uh, with friends up until his passing and drinks yeah would you be surprised by that and also <laughs> smokes a lot yeah. uh, but he would drink and yeah, when people a great advertisement for it what was he 91 he was 91 and he drank and smoked like a chimney and there's yeah. a great story about how in his final couple of years what he would do is when people would come up to him and ask I, I'm sorry do I recognize you because obviously if you if you don't follow movies, you've seen him in something, and he Please has that face. He says we had sex once, mate. Because I I thought you were just going to add to the drinking and smoking. <laughs> <laughs> no, he says he was a former astronaut. Ah, uh, which is very very cool. Uh, which is very very cool to be fair. So. I, I sorry, I thought I thought you were going to say something <laughs> along the lines of it wasn't me. Uh, to quote the great philosopher Shaggy. <laughs> yeah, and I mean yeah. it's it's amazing. When he died as well, like, we talked about all the headlines having two different roles and, like, no headline having the same two roles that he was associated with. Like, when I went to Twitter, I was amazed at how many people my age or younger than my age recognized him from tiny roles in things like the, the Avengers, for example. Right. He has a really tiny role in the Avengers. He has, like, a, a one line um, that becomes, like, three or four lines in a deleted scene where he finds what's-his-face Mark Ruffalo. And he basically oh, says, yeah. says uh, yeah. I got a question. Are you a small guy who gets all big? Or are you a big guy who gets all small? And it's like, yep, that's pretty much perfect. That is all that you need. But apparently all over my Twitter feeds, I remember logging in and seeing people my age going, that's what I think of when I think of Harry Dean Stanton, which is amazing. Like to, to have what is basically a one-line cameo in something like that where you've got all these big things happening and like people not only remember you, but remember that line. And they remember you specifically for that. That's a phenomenal accomplishment. Mm. Like that sort of like speaks to his quality as an actor and as a performer and as somebody who makes an impression. And sorry, I feel like we should be talking about Paris, Texas. He is very, very good in Paris, Texas. He's amazing in Paris, Texas. Um, so with that in mind, then um, you will next week, we'll be back talking about the latest new entry on the list, which is uh, The Handmaiden, directed by Park Chan-wook. And we'll, we'll hopefully have some guests on for that. It'll be very interesting, very fun. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at After250. You can follow Andrew at... A-Q-U-I-M-N-I-U-Q-A. 
Uh, you can follow me at Darren underscore Mooney. I also have a book out, which is Opening the X-Files, A Critical History of the Original Series. You can buy that on Amazon or wherever good ebooks are sold. Hold on, wait, wait, wait a second. We're doing The Handmaiden next? We might be. <laughs> By the way, listeners, have you noticed that this is a weekly podcast? <laughs> so we're recording Parktime Roots, The Handmaiden, next weekend. Are you planning on also releasing it next weekend? Yes. Okay. So this is a weekly podcast. <laughs> I would have done it this week, except this week we're doing this. Because um, it might have just jumped into the 250, but it's not in the cinemas at the moment. No, it's not. It was released in April. Yeah, um, yeah. But it is It is a relatively new movie, and it's relatively low on the list, so I'd like to cover it while it's still in. Yes. The thing. And it's also a movie I, that I think is worth talking about, but we'll talk about that next yeah, week. Yeah, I, 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 I saw it back in April. Uh, really enjoyed it. But yeah, looking looking forward to talking about it. It is indeed. All right, well, with that in mind, then, we will see now, you. Now that it's in that spot when, presumably, it's, it's, it's at the point where it's between not being in the cinema and not <laughs> being uh, available on... Oh, it is available on Blu-ray. Is it, is it available on Blu-ray? Yeah. Okay, guys, you can go see it on, uh, on, on Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, UK so, and American customers can watch it on Amazon as well. Yeah. Uh, and we wholeheartedly recommend that as well. If you want to steal it, maybe maybe, 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 maybe just send some money to Park Chan Wood. He'd definitely uh, appreciate it. Or... or, 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 or or put it put it in a Kickstarter for his for his <laughs> next film. Yeah, these are if the. If you want to see this movie, pay for it. Yes, that would be but, what we would but, advocate. But I I know that's a controversial. <laughs> I don't think that's a controversial uh, opinion, opinion. Andrew. It is, Darren. The, the, is the, this one of the things where you're trying the, to insert conflict into this podcast? The, the orthodoxy these days are is if if you and it's seen as very kind of holier than thou to 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 actually want to kind of pay to to see a movie, and it's like. Oh, you must have tons of money that you're paying to see a movie. It's like, no, I if if I can't afford to see a movie, I, I can don't just see it. Not see it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and to be fair, there are also streaming services and stuff like that. Like, there's Movie Pass in the states, which is amazing. There's Netflix, which offers all sorts of great services as well. Like, it's not as if it costs a lot to watch movies yeah. these days. It can be very difficult, as we may may or may not talk about when we get people just choose to spend their money on certain things. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's nobody's judging you for that. It's just saying that, yeah, that yeah. means that you can't complain when you but don't you have money to spend otherwise. Yeah. If, yeah. Welcome to the 250. Yeah. Now with obligatory moral lecture. At the end. <laughs> um, but don't worry, guys. We'll see you next week when we talk about uh, Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden. Yeah. Take it easy. Bye.